Hello from inside the historic Fox Theater here in Detroit. I'm Wolf Blitzer. Just hours from now, the first of two CNN Democratic presidential debates will get underway. Ten candidates will take the stage tonight. Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders, the highest polling progressives, they will be right at the center of it all. I'm Chris Cuomo. And the whole team for this special edition of The Lead. Jake Tapper, of course, preparing to moderate tonight's debate alongside Dana Bash and Dee Lemon. Wolf, so many candidates on stage. Pressure has to be on because let's be honest, if you don't break through tonight, if you don't get into that main dialogue, you may not get another chance. So, as we've seen in past debates, if you want to make a name or a move, often it's going to be an attack. What will that be? We'll know in just a couple of hours. So, for right now, let's start to get into our coverage of what's going on. The clock is ticking. Let's get right to CNN's Jeff Zeleny inside the debate hall. So, Jeff, for the leaders and laggards alike, tonight, very big. Chris, no question about it. I mean, this is the, uh, the last debate for some of these candidates. We don't know which candidates those will be, but all eyes will be on the center of the stage, as you said, where Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren are going to be, and they will be flanked by other candidates who have moderate positions. That is going to be the heart of this debate, the ideological divide inside this Democratic Party, which of course feeds into the ultimate question. What should Democrats do? Who should they nominate to defeat President Trump? Should it be a more moderate candidate to win over some of those Trump voters? Or should it be someone from the left who excites the liberal base? We have one of those candidates who's going to be making his first appearance here, Montana Governor Steve Bullock. He is on stage right now, sort of uh, seeing how it goes. He is the candidate who has joined the race most recently. He was not on stage in Miami at the debate last month. He will be here tonight, and he will be drawing contrast with Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren. He of course, is the governor of Montana a red state? He will argue, I am told, that uh, it is, it's dangerous, in his view, to pull the party too far to the left through Medicare for all, through the Green New Deal. So that is going to be on display. There's also going to be something else. Pete Buttigieg, age 37, standing next to Bernie Sanders, age 77. That is a big age divide as well. So think ideology, think age. And this, of course, the first night of two nights. But tonight, so important about the direction of the Democratic Party. Up to you, Wolf. All right. Thank you very much, uh, Jeff Zeleny. Uh, it's going to be a very important night. Uh, and as we watch what's going on on the stage behind us, I want to bring in our political experts to get some insight. Uh, Mark Preston, let's talk a little bit about Steve Bullock right now. He's, he's down there. He's the last of the 10 candidates going through this walkthrough, showing him what's there. They're giving him some uh, of the ground rules. Tell us uh, what, he's, what he's hearing right now. Well, a couple things. You know, uh, as we talk about this could be the end of the road for many candidates, Steve Bullock just got into the race. I mean, not only is this going to be his first debate, but he really didn't get in until the end of May anyway or the middle of May. He was focused on his legislature. I would expect to hear a lot from him talking about how he can win middle America, how he can win states where Donald Trump won. You look at Wisconsin or Pennsylvania, um, uh, Ohio. These are all states that had Democrats won Wolf. Hillary Clinton would have been president, and that's going to be Steve Look Bullock. at his own state. Uh, as we're showing our viewers these live pictures of Steve Bullock, uh, you see Sam Feist, our Washington bureau chief, going through some of the rules for tonight. We want to make sure all of them feel comfortable. The other nine have already done this. Uh, he was elected governor of Montana in 2016. Uh, he won as a Democrat, right. even though Donald Trump carried Montana. Yeah, which certainly says something about his uh, uh, electability, and that's 
the argument we expect for him to make tonight, his ability to win not only Democratic voters, but to win over those Republican voters. And as much as we do talk about how the Republican Party has really coalesced behind Donald Trump and it's about 80, 85 percent support, the bottom line is there are still a segment of Republicans who don't want to vote for Donald Trump. And Steve Bullock's probably going to make that argument that he can win them over. You know, uh, let's go through, uh, MJ, uh, some of the drama that we anticipate tonight. Right in the center of the stage will be Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren. We've got some poll numbers showing where they stand right now. Joe Biden, who's going to be on the stage tomorrow night, he won't be there tonight, but presumably he's hovering over this debate tonight as well. That's right. And I think what is so fascinating about this Bernie Sanders, Elizabeth Warren potential battle is that there may not be much of a battle. You know, every uh, conversation the reporters have had with the two candidates, they have really tried to telecast. Uh, We have no intention of fighting on purpose. We see eye to eye on a lot of issues. We are good friends. Uh, But I do think, Wolf, there is a political risk for each of the two candidates uh, in linking arms a little bit too much, right? For Bernie Sanders, uh, the issue is that he doesn't want to look like he's being replaced by Elizabeth Warren. You know, in politics, obviously, novelty counts for so much. And no matter what Bernie Sanders does in this campaign, uh, he is always going to be the candidate who tried once and lost in 2016. Uh, And then I think for Elizabeth Warren, you know, she doesn't want to look too much like she is piggybacking uh, off of Bernie Sanders. Obviously, she has many plans that are original and that are her own. But on an issue like health care, for example, Medicare for all, she doesn't have her own health care plan. And when I asked her about this yesterday, uh, why haven't we heard from you on this issue in particular? Uh, she said it's because she's with Bernie. She doesn't want to say that line too often, I would imagine, tonight. You know, they're, they're old time friends, uh, you know, Bernie Sanders, Elizabeth Warren. That's going to be hovering over this uh, debate tonight as well. Presumably, they'll want to remain friends after tonight? Presumably. (laughs) But, you know, well, I think both of them realize as long as they are number two and number three behind Biden, they can't beat Biden. One of them has to drop out for the other one to pick up enough votes to beat Biden. So they each have an incentive to become more aggressive, more contrasting. But there's no question that the way they behave with each other will be very different from what we saw from Kamala Harris and Joe and Joe Biden in the first debate. You know, the, by the Biden people felt that was an ambush and it was personally insulting. Yeah, in this case, you've got these people who are friends. They'll do it much more subtly, more gently, but they've got to begin separating out for, for their own preservation. You know, Maeve, uh, Rustin, if we look at the stage tonight, right in the center will be uh, Bernie Sanders, Elizabeth Warren, as we pointed out, Bernie Sanders, 77 years old, Elizabeth Warren, 70 years old. Uh, But to Bernie Sanders, right next to Bernie Sanders will be Pete Buttigieg, who's, what, 37 years old, and and Beto O'Rourke, who's in his 40s, he's right there as well. So that age contrast could be an issue tonight. For sure. And, you know, there are so many voters out there who you talk to, particularly in the older generation, who really like Pete Buttigieg. And uh, there's a whole cadre of seniors that would love to see him uh, in the White House because he does sort of offer that that freshness, that newness that so many voters are looking for. And that's Sanders' biggest problem right now and why he needs such a jolt of electricity tonight. I mean, we are seeing Elizabeth Warren just keep inching up steadily in the polls. And when you go out there into these states, particularly in the industrial Midwest and talk to voters, they feel like Bernie had his shot and that Elizabeth Warren is the one who's really putting in the work right now. So I'm really fascinated to see how he tries to change that chemistry, that equation. Yeah, Steve Bullock, the governor of Montana, one of the candidates, he's uh, still up on the stage uh, going through uh, some of the procedures for tonight, trying to feel a little bit comfortable with that podium. Uh, up next, I'll speak with one of the other candidates who will be on the stage tonight, the former Colorado governor, John Hickenlooper. What does he need to do tonight to keep his campaign going? and ensure he makes it into the next round of debates. Also, 
with Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren on center stage tonight. The Democratic Party's tilt to the left will certainly be on full display. Are Democrats too far out of the political mainstream? We're counting down to tonight's Democratic presidential debate, the first of two high-stakes showdowns right here on CNN. Uh, joining us now, someone who will be on that debate stage behind us tonight, Democratic presidential candidate, former Colorado Governor John Hickenlooper. Uh, Governor, thanks so much for coming in. Of course. All right, so in the polls right now, you've seen all the polls, the Quinnipiac Uni University poll that just came out. You're not even at 1%. What do you need to do tonight to get uh, to get ahead? Well, I was at 2% last week, just so we're clear. Let's yeah. get the, the, the statistics. So are often 1% the or 2%, but there's still others who are way ahead of you. Absolutely. And I've argued from the beginning that I'm the one person who's done what everyone else has talked about. Uh, I think tonight I've got a open up more who I am and let my experience as a small business owner and an entrepreneur, as a, as a mayor for eight years, a governor for eight years, let, let that, those stories come out. You uh, tweeted this yesterday. Elizabeth Warren has some big ideas that have an even bigger cost. We proved in Colorado that you don't need big, expensive government programs to achieve progressive goals. Let's talk about it tomorrow night. So are you planning to go after Elizabeth Warren, given some of the positions she staked out? I'm not going to go after her, but I do think that this this notion that we can have these massive government expansions is a surefire way to hand the election to Donald Trump to, to reelect what I would argue is one of the worst presidents we've ever had. Because you remember a few weeks ago you were booted at a California <laughs> event uh, when you declared, quote, socialism is not the answer. Does that influence your approach tonight, Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren? She says she's a capitalist, but he says he's a democratic socialist. Will that be an issue for you tonight? Listen, I've been a small business person my whole life. Even when I went and became a mayor and a governor, I functioned like a small business, small business person solving problems. You know, their large, expansive government solutions are not what I think America is ready for or wants. If one of them, Elizabeth Warren or Bernie Sanders, were to get the Democratic nomination, would you be behind them? Oh, sure. I mean, look at But you don't think they could beat uh, Donald Trump? I think they have a much harder time beating Donald Trump in states like Michigan, where we are. This is a state that is, is cares about jobs, and they're, they're, they're not for giant government programs. They're a much more conservative state than what we see in California and New York. Let's talk about one of the biggest issues, if not the biggest issues, for the candidates tonight, health care. You say it should, uh, it should be a right, not a privilege. It should be a right, not a privilege. But you envision a role for certainly a role, important role for private health insurance. So how do you plan on reducing costs and all of that? Well, the key to reducing costs is transparency in hospitals. That's a, a good place to start. And then changing how we regulate uh, insurance companies and pharmaceutical companies. Why are we paying 30 times more in the United States for insulin than they pay, they than they pay just across the river in Canada? That's crazy. So from your perspective, what happens to private health insurance? Well, private health insurance is going to have to compete with a, a public option. So they are going to have some pressure on them to deliver better service and have happier customers. So we'll hear Bernie Sanders support Medicare for all. When he does that, what will be your reaction? My reaction, as it has been, this is America. We believe in choices. And he's asking 180 million Americans to give up their private insurance. And a lot of them don't want to. What about the other moderate candidates who are going to be on the stage? Not all, the pro all of them are progress as progressive as Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren. Uh, what's going to be your message to them? Because they're like you, they're competing, and a lot of them really want to survive. No, of course, and we all are. And that's why these 
I mean, this is so exciting. <laughs> These debates are, are, are great political theater. You know, I'd match my record with anybody, right? I was a, an entrepreneur, a small business owner for 15 years. I know what it's like to make a payroll, to create some, something from scratch, to work 80 hours a week so that something doesn't fail. I think that's important experience. I was out of work for two years, and then I opened what became the largest brew pub in the country. You know, I've had a, a wider range of experience, I would argue, than any of the other moderate so candidates. tell us what factors you'll be weighing after tonight in, in terms of whether or not you decide to stay in the race, if you make the qualifications to go to the next, the third round of debates in September. Well, you know, to be honest, I haven't really given any consideration to getting out of the race. I, I mean, I take... I, I treat every day, every interview, this interview, as, you know, make or break. And I'm trying to be focused on being honest and direct to the American people and say, you know, here's what I believe. Here's what I think is good for America. I think we can beat climate change, right? I really believe that. We have the tools now. We need, need some more new innovations. I think we can get our arms around healthcare and control the inflation. But we've got to do it by bringing people together. And I look at pretty much everyone else who's running. I don't think they've done that. Everybody, all the Democratic candidates. All the Democrats. Well, it's certainly not the president. The president's made his whole political career by dividing people. If, if you don't make it as the Democratic presidential nominee, are you open, because you were a popular governor in your home state of Colorado, are you open to running for the Senate? You know, I am. I've asked you this question. Before. I know. You're, you're, you're relentless. Well, I'm I am, just looking ahead. I am 100% focused on being president. And the moment I start entertaining questions about my future in business or running for Senate or whatever, I lose focus. And my staff loses focus. You're not ruling it, necessarily ruling I it out. I want to be 100% focused on, on being everything I can in this campaign and, and really trying to open myself up to the American people and say, here's what I think America can, can be. We're out of time. But what's the single best piece of advice you got going into tonight? Uh, somebody told me that, uh, you, what would they say, you, you, don't, you don't win a stink fest if you're with a bunch of skunks, but they're not skunks. We have a great group of people that are, uh, you know, it's actually an honor to be up on that stage. It really is. All right. Thanks. So It's historic, too. It uh, thanks so much, Governor, for joining us. Good luck tonight. All right. Good to see you. Thank you. Chris, back to you. All right, Wolf, great interview. It's good to get a, a sense of somebody who makes a move tonight or really probably gone. All right, so let's bring in our panel here and let's start looking at what's going to happen tonight through the lens of is the party moving too far to the left? All right, so let's set up some sound. The candidates who are on tonight, here's some of the most aggressive, progressive rhetoric. We have got to change the system, and that's what Medicare for All is all about. What we are saying today is public colleges and universities should be tuition-free and debt-free for all Americans. I've been really interested in this potential model where you have 15 justices, right. but five are chosen by Democrats, five by Republicans. So you the could see expanding the Supreme Court? If it's in a, a way that will depoliticize it. Okay. Hmm. All right. So let's discuss uh, what that means for the party. You got Paul Begala, you got Rick Santorum, Jen Psaki, Andrew Gillen. Great to have you all here. Thanks. For um, first, pick and looper. Uh, you guys were making some interesting points. I said, oh, it's going to be a hard night for him. Rick Santorum says, maybe not. One of these guys needs to stick around. Why the confidence? Well, I think one of these, quote, moderate candidates has to stick around for when Joe Biden crashes and burns, because Joe Biden, in my opinion, is not going to be the nominee. And, uh, and, and someone is going to pick that up. That means someone has to survive this process or the Democrats are not going to be without an alternative to 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 the pretty hard left that you've just been hearing about, and that's a disaster for the Democrats. So uh, I don't know who it's going to be. We'll we'll find out tonight. I think Hickenlooper's approach, which is you know I'm not going to push this. I'm going to 
mistake. <laughs> you, you've got, this is your chance. You don't qualify for the next debate. And let me assure you, if you're not on that debate stage, your chance of becoming president became infinitesimally small. You've got to do something to make your move to distinguish yourself. One of you, Bullock, Hickenlooper, somebody like that has to make a move tonight. What's yeah. the frame for you, Andrew? No, I mean, I, I, I tend to agree. You take it <laughs> with uh, Senator Santoro. Show the love, man. I got this this is the parody panel. Embrace panel. it. Embrace it. <laughs> and uh, on this point, which is there has to be a breakout moment, I believe, uh, for potentially another moderate candidate. And, and tonight they get a good foil. Um, I've got great respect for everyone on the stage. Too but from the, from the standpoint of Warren and, and, and Sanders being on the same stage tonight with a couple of candidates that are trying to weave this sort of progressive yet more moderate stream, they've got to pop out. And unfortunately, it's uncomfortable to try to figure out those moments where you, you know, kind of strike blood. But if you don't, you may be out of the game tonight. Mm. So Bernie Sanders is sitting next to Elizabeth Warren. Mm -hmm. I'll play Bernie Sanders. You play Elizabeth Warren. This is good TV. (laughs) You are making points about policies that sound Mm -hmm. a hell of a lot like mine. You'll beat me on the slogan if I've got a plan Mm -hmm. for that. When I'm the plan guy, how long can I look at you and nod and call you my friend? Not long if you want to still be competing in this race a couple of weeks and months from now. Uh, You know, I think they've clearly indicated both campaigns have that they're going to play nice and they're going to kumbaya. They're running for, for office against each other. They're competing. Uh, it's Warren better. likes that plan. Warren, Warren likes to let's ex- be nice because exactly. she's benefiting right now. Exactly. Warren is benefiting right. from this. But Warren has not built her rise on moments. Uh, she didn't have, she had a good debate. She didn't have one breakout moment. She's built it steadily. So it's far better for her if they play kumbaya and play nice. True. I would expect. Just so they know, obviously we have supporters <laughs> behind us. Every time it's positive, they're saying my name. Every time it's <laughs> angry, they're saying something about Rick Sanchez. <laughs> All of that. Go ahead. You know, if, if I were advising Bernie Sanders, I am not a candidate for that, probably. But I would say the place to differentiate yourself is on Medicare for all. He's the only Medicare for all purist. That is a legitimate argument for him to make. That is not wise in a general election. But he, but Elizabeth Warren has co-sponsored a lot of other bills. She's tried to give herself an escape hatch on this. That's probably smarter for a general election. But Bernie Sanders can differentiate himself and, and on that you're, front. If you're, if you're Warren, you may want to strike strike a blow on on guns uh, protecting uh, gun manufacturers against lawsuits. Uh, you know, if, if she wants See, to I would be in. surprised though if she strikes a blow. I, I don't she, think she does. But if she were worn in for the for some, for it, yeah. So, Paul, what do you think gets the mention? I, I think guns is going to come up. Uh, this terrible shooting in Mississippi, the shooting yesterday in California. Um, Hillary had great success against Bernie Sanders. Maybe the reason she beat him. Because in the past, he had voted with the NRA. He voted against the Brady Bill. He had voted against the waiting period. He has, in the eyes of most Democrat, a bad record. Now, he says he's changed. I believe he has. But so has Joe Biden. And he got smacked for stuff he did 30, 40 years ago. I think if there's tension between Bernie and Elizabeth, the opening is not, I think it's moderate versus liberal is fine. I think it's experience. That is to say, a governor. Rick made this point a moment ago. Uh, Jay Inslee's not on the the, the dais tonight, but Steve Bullock is. John Hickenlooper is, rather than just saying I'm more moderate, I'd like, I want a governor up in the top tier of my party's candidates. Governors make better presidential candidates. In American history, people we make as president are vice presidents and governors and Civil War generals. Most often. Most often. So say, you guys talk, I get things done. So here's this smart guy, wild card angle that could be played tonight by a man or a woman, which is... I'm not going to talk about you. I'm going to talk to you and talk about Detroit, talk about Flint. We'll see. All right, let's take a break on that. Thank you very much for that good first course of this. Next, 
How much of the Democratic Party is moving away from former Vice President Joe Biden and the political mainstream? I know we don't see it in the polls, but it's early. Is there a path to victory in that? Next. Everybody's loud here in Detroit until we come back on air. Now they're quiet. It's nice that they're being polite so we can do the show. But you're seeing the anticipation build here. Uh, This is part of the primary process. Here in Detroit, we have the Democratic presidential candidates having completed their walkthroughs for tonight's first debate on CNN. We like to take you behind the curtain. So while we're doing the coverage with Wolf Blitzer here this afternoon, we'll be showing you what's going on in the inside whenever there's anything interesting to see. So here's the state of play. The top polling progressives are Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders. Now, I say the word progressives, not just Democrats. They're going to be center stage just a few hours from now. The front runner, as a Democrat, who's not seen as a progressive, he's seen as a moderate, is, of course, former VP Joe Biden. He'll be on the stage tomorrow. Joining me now, Biden campaign co-chair, Democratic Congressman Cedric Richmond of Louisiana. Pleasure, Thanks, Chris, as always. See, they see you, you're here. Now they start talking, because these are your people. These are the Biden people. So, tonight... What work is there to be done as the VP watches the state of play? He'll probably be mentioned a few times. I think he will be mentioned. Anytime you're in the top spot, uh, those who want to be in the top spot need to knock you down so that they can grow. So that we anticipate that. But I think what the VP will be doing is listening attentively to their plans. So, for example, Medicare for all. No one has described to the American people how you pay for the entire Medicare for mm-hmm. all. They you don't did. really think it's going to be plan versus plan, though, in this election. Hasn't the president well, made it clear what this is going to be about, Cedric? Well, but in the Democratic primary, I do think a lot gotta of go plan, plan for plan. plan. Mike Tyson said everybody's got a plan until they get punched in the face. Now, the question is, once you've been punched in the face and Joe Biden was punched in the face in the mm-hmm. first primary, what new plan do you have? Was prep different this time around? Well, I think that he will not be as hesitant to point out his positions, clarify people when they mischaracterize his position. And then punch back and let them know the flaws in their positions. And I think that he's going to be very forceful with it. Uh, And look, Senator Harris caught, I believe, caught him off guard uh, because the sentence started with, Mr. VP, I know you're not a racist. And that's the part that. But and it's the but that kills you. the, The but. And then I think he was thrown off guard. And then there's sensitivities of how do you punch back against a woman and all of those things in politics. And I think that he's comfortable with looking at the policy differences and talking about them. So I think you've seen in the last couple of weeks that he will point out that her Medicare plan is fictitious and the one she came out with yesterday, nobody understands. And you'll see him fight back against Senator Booker, who I believe will be the most aggressive because he has the most to lose. He has to get to the next debate stage, and I think that he's going to look for that moment. What do you think about the Buttigieg, Beto O'Rourke? Uh, you know, you could make the argument Buttigieg has the lane Beto O'Rourke wanted. Uh, the question is, do you think you'll see some crossfire there that doesn't involve the VP? Well, I think you will. And I think Beto, and I know Beto from Congress, I think Beto has to show people who he is and remind people who he is. He just ran an outstanding race in Texas for the United States Senate. And I think that when he got into the presidential race, he thought that he could do the same things. For example, drive the minivan, do those things. The reason why you don't drive the minivan is so that you can be studying up on policy and making calls and doing all those things. So I think he had some growing pain. So that's going to be a very interesting exchange between those two uh, because they are in the exact same lane. Both can't survive. One has to uh, go away for the other one, I think, to thrive. You think that's true with Bernie and Warren? 
Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren? No, I think they both will have staying power purely by the amount of money that uh, they raise. And I think that that gives them the staying power to stay for a long time. The question becomes, when will they try to differentiate themselves from each other? And so we're very clear who we are. And we're not running from the fact that we don't uh, profess to be ultra progressive, that we're willing to work across the aisle to get things done, even though we get attacked about it. And the fact that uh, we're we're focused on Donald Trump. I mean, he is unfit to serve the American people. And I think there was an article that came out today in Politico that said Donald Trump benefits from Democrats sparring. So we really ought to keep the focus on where it should be. Joe Biden benefits from this president when he is at his worst. It's interesting. You got a pop in the polls here that I would argue, please feel free to disagree. I don't think it's about Joe Biden making moments out on the hustings. It's that when the president was at his full-throated worst about divisions in this Mm -hmm. country, Democrats in polls said we need to beat this president. Joe Biden's our best chance. And you saw him elevate past where he was before the well, last debate. Well, that's the polling in the Democratic primary. And that, right. I think you're right. But I think also what people looked at was the fact the polling came out that shows Biden beating Trump right. handedly, especially in battleground states, popular vote and in early primary states. So I think the fact that he's winning Michigan, that he is he was up four in Texas, he was up in North Carolina. I think when people see that, they say, you know what? We're playing in the Super Bowl. We need to put our best player on the field. And so that's why I think you see people coming back to him. He's consistent. He's steady. People know he's authentic. People know he says what he means, means what he says, even when it's not popular, even when we wish he wouldn't say it. But he's always going to let you know where he is. And I think the American people uh, appreciate that and the fact that the polling shows him as the only candidate beating Donald Trump outside the margin of error. Right. They, right. There's several within right. the margin of error. It's tight because he is unpopular outside his base. We'll see how it goes tonight. Congressman from Louisiana, Cedric Richmond, always a pleasure. Well, thank you, sir, and good luck with your candidate. Thank you for having me, and thank you for having some New Orleans heat up here. Too. Oh, wait, it is a little hot, right? All right. Wolf, to you. Thanks very much. Uh, we're back with our political correspondents and our analyst, MJ. How's this all-important health care debate going to play out on the stage behind us tonight? Well, Wolf, you look at the lineup tonight, and we have Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren center stage, and these are two candidates who believe in Medicare for all. The eight others who are on stage, for whatever reason, uh, and to differing degrees, do not believe that this is the path, right? Whether it's because they think it goes too far, uh, it is not realistic. And I think that this is the battle that we are going to see uh, continue to play out uh, it has become such a litmus test for all of the Democrats. And I think a lot of ways that the battle that we're going to see tonight is going to be between Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders and everybody else. Right. And this is sort of the issue that I think really uh, embodies the two choices that Democratic voters are facing in this election. Uh, do we want a candidate and do we want to take the risk on a candidate who is talking about big structural change or do we want somebody who is talking about improving upon the system that we have now? That debate's going to be significant. What about climate change? That's going to, the Democrats say, if you look at all the polls, that's one of the top issues on their minds as well. It certainly is, you know, and if you look at it from 50,000 feet, all the Democrats believe that climate change is real and that it should be addressed, but the devil's in the details about how you actually get there, and it gets very, very complicated. So there's this big fight now about the Green New Deal that's being pushed by the younger environmentalists who really want to see this put into action. 
you get, go to the more establishment environmentalists, and while they won't necessarily talk about this out loud necessarily, their concern is, is that the Green New Deal is really like a jobs, jobs program. It's a social justice bill. It's not necessarily an environmental bill. And you talk to the more establishment folks, and they'll say, listen, that's going to go nowhere because we're not going to get that through Congress, right? It is going to be too complicated. And then to add to that, you have lawmakers like Tim Ryan, who's going to be on stage, Steve Bullock, who's going to be on stage, and they're going to say things like, listen, we got to get back to middle America. we got to get people back to jobs. To go out there and say, we're going to shut down factories and build electric cars, and we will have no fossil fuels by 2040, 2050 is not realistic. That's where the divide is. What about free college education? we got free high school education, elementary school education. Now, several of the candidates want free college education. Well, it's certainly a, a popular plan that they have put out there, but particularly here in the industrial Midwest, you talk to so many voters, like the ones that that Mark was talking about, who keep saying, Democrats, how are we going to pay for all of this? And you know, look at these potholes in my, my street, uh, you know, listening to the, the candidates in the last debate when they all raised their hand and said that, uh, you know, they would support health care for undocumented immigrants. There are a lot of voters in the party that don't agree with those, you know, very far left ideas. And I think we will really see that push pull on the stage tonight. And it's a night where the moderates really can shine and uh, and talk about how they would connect with the Reagan Democrats in places like this. I think this is increasingly boiling down to two big issues for the whole, for the whole campaign. And one of them is whether we're going to have open borders or closed borders. And the Democrats who argue we should basically have open borders and then provide benefits, federal benefits to the people who come in, that is an argument that the moderates will try to obliterate because they think it's a, well, a, a loser right out the door. But the other issue is taxes. Do you put on taxes on climate? And there's a lot of opposition to that. And do you put on taxes for medical, you know, for Medicare for all? And both ta- higher taxes are also, I think, real poison for the Democrats if they're not careful. And I think it's it's pretty simple where this comes out. And do you have a candidate who stands for what's more appealing to the country or what is more appealing to the progressive ideologues? Because these are all critically important issues, Absolutely. but there are significant differences in, in, in the candidates' positions on all of them. Uh, the first round of debates produced breakout moments for several of the Democratic presidential candidates. Up next, who could be the standout stars this time around? back with our political experts counting down to the first night of the CNN Democratic presidential debates. No need to manufacture enthusiasm for this because you will never see these two slates of candidates together again. Why? Because you got to start making moves. Yes, there's time, but there's not enough time for this size field to stay this way. So in a matter of just hours, 10 candidates tonight, including Senators Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren, are going to take their positions on the stage inside uh, Detroit's historic Fox Theater. And I'm going to tell you, I get caught on the words because I was thinking of the right adjective. This theater is so gorgeous. That picture, they've done a beautiful job with the set. I was in there. Can't do the room justice. The lighting, where you see that it's dark in the foreground in front of CNN, all of the detail on this place that was built in the 1920s right before the Great Depression. Holy cow, it's gorgeous. I'll just let you know that. It's going to be a beautiful night for that reason alone. So I got Santorum, Saki, Gillum, and Begala. We're going to get into this tonight. I have to be right, Jen. It, it can't be like this. It can't be like this again. These if it two is, slates, that's a freakish mathematical yeah, thing. Right, be, but I'm yeah. saying, and also, you won't have this many. 
Like no, the you, next set, you won't have. You won't. Uh, I think, uh, you know, the prediction, I would say, is between 8 and 12 will probably qualify for the September debates because... Basically 2% in four separate polls right. and 130,000 donors. Exactly, uh, which is not that hard of a criteria. Um, if you are not hitting 2% by September, I know there's historical precedents and all of that, uh, you may need to rethink whether you should be running for president. Uh, there will still be a number of candidates in it uh, who will be competing, a number of people who are on the stage tonight. There are some candidates who are competing Tonight, or who are on the stage tonight and tomorrow night, who are really going to have to figure out if, how they get on the stage in September. And this may be the last time we see them. So that's when we'll see some punches come out, uh, some you know contrasts uh, with other candidates. And, and those are some of the candidates we should watch. Senator, jump in as always when you want to. But these guys had points that I haven't been able to touch on. I want your take on both. So Andrew said something to me before we came on tonight that is really interesting. He's like, don't be so fast to write people off if you don't know where they're emphasizing their energy on the ground. And we were talking about uh, Senator Klobuchar. That's right. Um, and make the point to the audience, because well, it was smart. I had forgotten your Well, point. I mean, the, 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 the point that I had observed in Florida was that there are only about three campaigns that right now have infrastructure on the ground there. Mm -hmm. Most of them are fundraising infrastructures, but it's building networks. Now, that's in a state that is pretty late in the process, if you will. Most of this field, by, you know, my guess, January, end of January, February, It'll be pretty clear who's who's kind of. But then somebody can pop up in one of these first big states, let For alone sure. Florida, and now they're back in the conversation. So, Paul, when does your party grasp that this is not about policy? That the <laughs> best hint you got from the president was when he said, "I'll give you my health care plan yeah. after the right. 2020 election." This is identity. This is who we are, what we accept, what we reject. This is a culture battle played out on the national stage. You guys are not in that mode. That's right. And I think, I, look, I like I think politics ought to be about ideas. I like that these Democrats are putting out detailed plans. But you're right that that's not how the de Democrats are going to make their decision. They're going to say, who can beat Trump? Who can deliver me from Donald Trump? And that's what worried me about Miami. The mistake of Miami was the mistake in the Miami. Mistake in Miami. Oh, that's that good. A that's whole good. A lot of my Democrats <laughs> took positions tactically to get through a debate, or maybe they believe it, that could kill them in November of 2020 against Donald Trump. Don't say anything in the primary that you can't defend in the general election. Now, why are they doing this? Okay, a brilliant. I've been thinking. I thought, thought it was Twitter because I'm in the media now, right? It is partially, but not really. The biggest thing that I didn't know about is this emphasis on small donors which I thought was a very good thing. Break the stranglehold of big donors, mm -hmm. got to raise money from small donors. It's great. Until I talked to some people in the state level, particularly the political director for the governor's PAC in Virginia. He's the smartest guy I've ever met in politics, my son, John. Here's what John Begala says. Dad, if you're trying to raise money from small donors, you got to be crazy. You've got to be the most. He didn't put it that way. He's smarter yeah. than I am. He's a William and Mary guy. Like, like Jen. Perfect. But very Well smart. done. Well played. Very well smart. played. The small donors are the most ideological. And they're lovely people, and I love them. But when you're competing with 20 people for that same small ideological group, you're going to say things to get those small donations to get on the stage. That could really hurt you. I, 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 I would take, I take exception. So Barack Obama didn't necessarily get out there in the primary and throw out radical, crazy ideas right. as a way of building a base. What he did is he gave us idealism. He right. set out a vision. And frankly, in some key places, he was a whiteboard under which we were able to project our highest hopes and ambitions But I think onto. if you look at what he did and you look at what Kamala Harris did on the first debate, they also introduced who they were. They brought right. their personal story into it. They let the public, people who are watching, know who they are, why they would be fighting. Sorry. That's what some of these candidates it, need to do. Rick is loving it's, everything it's, you guys are saying, but for all the wrong reasons. No, yeah. no, it's just not, it's not this race. 
politics has changed. Donald Trump has changed the political sure world. Is. And so you can go back and say, well, Obama could do this. This Obama, there are a lot of people who look like Barack Obama in this field. There wasn't a lot of people who look like Barack yeah. Obama, you know, 12 years ago. But it was so, a crowded stage. But right not, not anywhere like this. And, and so I, I, my, my only point here is that, that you've got an opportunity here with these people who are in the, in the low rungs to survive, I, I disagree. I think there's somebody out there talking about your grassroots thing that if they have a good grassroots plan, they can keep their heads down. We keep forgetting. We are still very, very We're early still, in yeah. this process. Yeah. True. And even right. if they get bumped off the stage the yeah. next time around, if, they ha- if they're the candidate that has the grassroots momentum, they can come they back. Can come back that's and so, that's a comeback story. That's totally so let's see. The, the road is a series of steps. Tonight is a huge one. Thank you very much for helping set the table. Coming up next, what to be watching for. When you're watching tonight, you know, it's a little bit of like, well, who and, and for what? And what is the right angle and when? We're going to lay out some parameters for you, all right? Maybe some uh, dip and chip recommendations as well. Next. We're back inside the beautiful Fox Theater here in Detroit. Mark Preston, uh, our senior political analyst. Uh, You spent some quality time with, what, nine of the ten candidates earlier in the day when they were doing their walkthroughs. I did. Unfortunately, I wasn't able to spend some time with with, uh, Governor Bullock because I had to come up here uh, and join you on the show. But i got to tell you, there's a a sense of calmness, I think, from all the candidates. You know, people think there's going to be a big fight night tonight, and I do think there's going to be a big fight night, but it's going to be on policy. And uh, just talking to these candidates, I don't see any apprehension. or or anything. I think they want to come out and talk about their policy issues. Do you see a lot of confidence? or Because some of these candidates, this might be the last time we see them on the debate stage. Uh, Certainly some of them are uh, a little bit more confident than others. But to that point, some of them have to make a mark tonight. They have to do something to move the needle in order to stay in this race. 20 candidates, 20 plus candidates in the race right now, Wolf. There's very little time, obviously, for them to start making up ground. Tonight would be the night for them to start to. We'll see if any of them can do that. That's very, very significant. Mark, stand by. We've got a lot more news uh, coming up. Uh, how much should the Democratic candidates talk about policy tonight and how much should they focus in on President Trump? Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. I'm Dr. Sanjay Gupta, host of the Chasing Life podcast. In honor of our 10th season, we want to hear from you. Leave us a message at 470-396-0832 and tell us how you chase life. It could be used on an upcoming episode.